Excuse me, Tarquina, said Bree with just the slightest backward tilt of his ears, but that's Calarmine talk. We're free Narnians, Wynne and I. And I suppose if you're running away to Narnia, you want to be one too. In that case, Wynne isn't your horse any longer. One might just as well say that you're her human. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcasts, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel. And I'm Chase. And thank you so much for joining us today. Just a reminder that we are talking about the third book in the series, The Horse and His Boy, but general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we will go on to tangents into other stories that we enjoy, and we'll do our best to give our spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything that we feel is too far out there. But today, we are going to be discussing the second chapter of The Horse and His Boy, A Wayside Adventure. Mm. Wayside indeed. Mm. I'll, Chase, I'll can you give us a summary way. real quick? Yeah, into the summary. Into um, the summary. <laughs> so Shasta wakes up to Bree's face right up in his face, hovering right over his own, and immediately exclaims that he is so sore that he can hardly move after all the writing from the day before. Bree says he was worried about this, but it can't possibly because he fell off a dozen times because it wasn't anywhere too painful. So must be the writing itself that his body is adjusting to. The horse asks him if he wants breakfast. When Shasta resists getting up and moving at all, Bree starts to nudge and shove and kick him a little bit until he finally gets up. And when he does get up, Shasta sees where they are looking out over flower-dotted fields and the sound of the ocean. But best of all, he could no longer smell fish. The only smell he had ever known growing up as the son of a fishmonger The sweet air almost made him forget the pain and bruises he'd taken on to get there. So he finally seeks out some food, and the two have a discussion over whether it's stealing to use the money from their stolen saddlebag. But Bree says it's fine, because they're in enemy territory, and so the money is the spoils of war, not robbery that would be unfitting for a free Narnian. With breakfast finished, Bree rolls around in the grass, which Shasta finds funny, and this makes Bree insecure because he wonders if that's something that a Narnian horse would do or if it's just a bad habit that he picked up from the common horses of Calorman. They begin riding towards the city of Tashban and beyond it, Narnia in the north. And the days of riding were great, stopping in cities for food, Shasta's riding improving, and Bree telling stories of his life as a war horse. This continued for weeks when one night as they were riding, Bree suddenly stopped. He said he heard another horse nearby, and the sound of it, a Tarkin nobleman's riding. They were being followed. They waited till a cloud darkened the night sky, and they tried to evade the other horsemen, but then a worse sound came. Lions. They rode hard to escape, galloping to exhaustion, Bree saying that he fears lions more than most things, even in his time as a war horse. When they thought they had finally gotten away, a roar comes again, and this time two of them. They keep riding, and they come upon the other horse that they were trying to get away from with its rider also escaping the big cats, and the two were forced together to ride into the inlet of the ocean where the lions gave up pursuit. They swam for a while and came to the other side. The two horses and riders left the water, but to their surprise, two voices came from the other pair, one saying she was tired, the other saying, 
shut up. Don't, don't talk right now. Uh, Bree exclaimed, I heard you. You're clearly another Narnian horse. What are the odds? And so upon her back, not even a dude, like a girl in her brother's armor. The girl, a young Tarkina, which is a word, was sharp-tempered and did not want to talk with them, wanted to get out of there real quick, but the horse insisted that they stay with Bree and Shasta as it became clear that they were all trying to escape in the same direction. After more discussion, the girl relents and says that she's fine staying with a warhorse like Bree, but the common boy, Shasta, made her nervous that he might be a spy. Bree vouches for Shasta, and they all get comfortable to rest, and Bree asks to hear her story, which we will hear next chapter. Chase, the theme of this chapter is insecurity uh, and the re- the revelation of those insecurities. And Chase, oh, I'd just like to, I'd like to say, good morning, small one. Uh, I was afraid that you might feel a little bit stiff and sore, uh, but it can't be because of the dozen or so falls that you had while riding. Don't worry about it, Kel. That was soft ground that you fell six feet on. <laughs> it to. was. It was. It was like a pleasure to fall on. Like it must have been so sweet. Like the only one that could have been mad, you was broken by that gorse bush. Uh, so you. Which, have I don't nothing... know what a gorse bush is, but uh, it, it sounds prickly. And also, a warhorse like. The the point they keep making about Bree is that he's like impressive and like a large horse. Like he is a horse that is supposed to be able to get through battle. Yeah. He's a tall horse. This is a far fall. Like, I don't know and if you've ever fallen like six or seven feet, but just onto your back or your rib good. cage. Like yeah, you're like that's how you break things. People fall much shorter distances. Yeah. So yeah, don't worry about that, Shasta get over it just yeah. suck it up it was probably the writing because you're such a bad writer uh, yeah. yeah although i do kind of like cuz i mean this is one of those things that's like cs lewis at his best we're like yeah this is bree making fun of shasta but it also is like how cs lewis communicates his wise principles through a scene like the lesson yeah. like Failure or mistakes are part of the journey. They're to be expected. But the most painful part is not the mistakes, but the actual journey. Like Shasta's body is sore because it has to adjust to writing, not from the falling. And that's true in a lot of life. Like if you go on a new endeavor, if you try a new thing, the way that that stretches and changes and grows you is often more painful than the fear of failure that we usually carry with us and keeps us from setting out in the first place. Yeah. As we talked about last chapter, horse riding is a great metaphor for life. Uh, Cause you know, you got to fall and get back up, man. Uh, but I, mean, I was because of bring this up later, but this book is essentially CS Lewis's uh, like Pilgrim's progress is what I'm realizing as we're reading it. Yeah, the way he's setting it up and the way he—that's a great. That's a great illustration. His version of narrating is very Pilgrim's Progressy. If any, if any listener has not read the Pilgrim's Progress, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's really interesting. Uh, But we get back to the story, and you know, Bree's like, "Hey, what about breakfast? I've already had mine. I eat grass." Uh, And like, Shasta responds, "Oh, bother breakfast, bother everything." Is Edmund back, Chase? 
I thought I we mean, didn't have him in this book, but here we are. It sounds like he's here. Now I can't lie. This is a mood. I, too, did not want to move or get up this morning. <laughs> and Bother everything. If, uh, if I had anyone who cared about me enough to shove me awake, I would have appreciated it. But, but then I had again, to get myself out of bed, Shasta. Would you want to wake up to a horse face real close to you? Yeah, yeah. That, uh, honestly, what an odd way to open this chapter with Bree's nose, like, two inches from Shasta's nose with, like, his horse whiskers, like, brushing against his face. Like, no, it's, honestly, to be fair, it wasn't a horse. To be fair, if you've ever had a pet of any sort, and I want to make sure that, you know, any Narnian horses listening to this podcast know I'm not referring to Bree as a pet because that would be an insult among all insults uh but if you've ever owned a dog of or or any pet of any sort and you take a nap there's like a 98 percent chance that you're waking up to getting licked in the face like yeah that's yeah, just that's, how it goes that's fair. this is a very animal way to wake someone up for sure zero personal space uh but, but shasta does <laughs> get up and he looks around and more importantly he <laughs> sniffs the air um, yeah. No fish smell. Dude, okay. So this is, we, we mentioned that the theme of the chapter is insecurity. And <clears throat> it's in this little section that I think C.S. Lewis does a really good job of, like we made fun of him in the last book for not being very subtle. But I think <clears throat> throughout this chapter and the next, you see a lot of really subtle hints that like Shasta is very inexperienced. He's really ignorant. And it really displays his insecurity a lot. Uh, so right now he wakes up and he realizes that they're near the sea, but he doesn't see or he doesn't smell any fish. He also has never seen the sea from such a height before. He's never dreamed that he could see as many colors in it. And he's never smelled anything where there wasn't fish. This is subtle hints that his life was very limited, that he has very limited knowledge, limited scope, limited experiences, um, that he is from a place of more you know, like like poverty where he's the only like he's always around fish smell because he's in a port area um you know he's he's near this lake all he's used to is just being around this dirty smelly fish stink uh and, and he can't imagine fishmonger yeah he can't he can't imagine a life that is greater and so this is like the beginning subtle hints of his own insecurities which you're going to lie with his own inexperience like he doesn't know things and he's very aware of how much he does not know yeah this is definitely this is the most sensory aspect of his freedom so far which i mean mm-hmm. to be fair his freedom has been about two pages of this book so far but sure. like this is a really cool way of like i mean I, again this is why i say pilgrim's progress related to it of like this is kind of that moment of like the weight is lifted off your shoulders and you realize that like even though there's a hard journey ahead the freedom of being on that journey is better than staying back behind in slavery like this is that moment for him when he realizes what the move that he's made actually means and also reading this scene I just got full on vibes of uh, Frozen Two into the unknown. <laughs> so good! I love Frozen Two. I also it really just love. Good. It's so good in general. Everything is uh, it, it, Frozen is just great. But he, you know, spell he 
this this lack of fish smell makes him hungry uh, because he's like, okay, I could eat some breakfast now. Um, and he realizes uh, that like they've got some like uh, some stuff in there in their pack, and he goes rummaging through it. Um, and he has what is what he refers to as the best breakfast he's ever had, and that is a slightly stale meat pasty a lump of dried figs and another lump of green cheese with a little flask of wine. This is the best breakfast he's ever had. And this sounds gnarly. Like this does not sound great. Which I mean, I love a kolache for those who are not Texan or Czech. They, uh, kolache is the same thing as a meat pastry. Um, and, but yeah, stale, not great. Moldy cheese, not great. But yeah, it does kind of show you the the level of poverty that Shasta was living. That yeah. he was truly like living in the low of the low. And so even something like even the table scraps, the day olds of the uh, the random dude passing through their house that he stole his food from, like that's better than anything he's ever eaten for breakfast, which is a bummer, but also like, again, just another layer of showing the new life that Shasta has stepped into. Like this is the best he's ever had. And it's the worst of what he's going to have, which is, is hopeful, but also brings up some fun morality tale questions as they get into taking things from this bag, which Kel, I don't know how you feel about this, but didn't Isn't they it? already steal the saddlebag? And a horse? Yeah. So why does it matter? Okay, so for the listeners, they get into a discussion about like whether they should spend this money that's in the saddlebag because it's not fitting for a Narnian, a free Narnian to steal money and spend stolen money. Like, so there's this kind of layer of that not being fitting for who they are. But also, they already stole this stuff. Like, the money is already stolen. So what would not spending it do? It it feels like a very uh, injected, he, like, C.S. Lewis lesson. Okay, kids, you know, you really shouldn't steal stuff. Is he planning on returning the money at the end of this? Like, what, We're going to get to Narnia, and then he's just going to throw the coins back over the board. Hi-ya! Yeah, he's... It's, it's a... It's definitely... C.S. Lewis's way of saying, hey, this character is well-intentioned and has good morality. You should root for him. And, and this will cut, he'll do a similar thing in the next chapter, I believe. Uh, but it's, it's like, hey, this character doesn't like stealing. Because, and like, it's like Bree's reasoning is like, well, we're basically war prisoners and yeah. war captives. So Stealing is relative. No. (laughs) Like, here's the thing. I don't think that there's anything wrong with what they're doing because they were captured slaves and they're escaping. Like the same logic that Brie gives. Right. Like, well, it's like they're so I wouldn't even like I don't between escaping slavery and going to war. Yeah. Like for me, I don't think this is necessarily like. Like, I don't think you need to question this. Like we, like you said at the beginning where you're like, you've already stolen the horse, the, like quote unquote, even though Bree would like, you can't steal something that is like 
a, a human being. Like that's just slavery, right? So it's like you are escaping slavery. You're not like going to war, like stealing from this guy. Like, I don't know, because otherwise you'd be stealing yourself because you are that guy's property, more or less. And yeah. that's just a horrible way to look at things. I mean, it definitely, it fits into both the 1950s Christianity, like let's overanalyze every action for whether or not it's a sin combined with this is a story for children to teach them a moral lesson. Like, absolutely. Like, again, like Pilgrim's Progress, is it fitting for someone who is now a free Narnian to live in the old ways of Calamy? Like, yeah. It's, I mean, that is what he's getting at. And sure. that's what Bree's language especially brings out. But mm-hmm. it also, yeah, you, you, one already stole it. So the deed's done. But also, like, this is your survival. This is your escape into freedom. This is like, yeah. Like, no, I don't think Aslan's going to be mad that you stole this money. Like, well, it's Chase, fine. we'll see about that. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. Look, he'll... Aslan has some interesting uh, actions in this chapter, in this book as a whole, but... I mean, Aslan is, like, he'll he'll make him run for it. It's fine. (laughs) We'll we'll get to that in a few pages. Yeah. Uh, But it... So, one last thing about that. We we do... We we realize that he... uh, They have 40 crescents, which, like, if you remember from the last chapter, uh, they, the, like, bartering for... Uh, Shasta's life was going to be either fifth between somewhere between 15 and 70 crescents. We realize right now that the Tarkin only had 40. So we know as much as he was willing to go for, for this process. Uh, His but, best and final offer revealed. Yeah. He, Which, I mean, I do like the idea that Shasta gets the money that was going to be paid for him. Like a nice little he, ironic twist. He keeps his value by taking his freedom for himself. Like that is a that's a fun layer to that. Yeah, I like it. It's neat. But uh, we get to this point where they're you know talking about uh, the the booty that they have won in this money, uh, the spoils of war, and they're like, all right, cool. We got to probably go buy some supplies and food and stuff because humans can't eat natural food like grass and oats. And then we get this. Okay, really have interesting- you ever tried? I have. <laughs> that's so just so the listener knows I haven't Kel, but that's what Shasta says again, another little glimpse into his poverty and insecurity. They have also, this little com- fun shout out to, uh, to the story of the prodigal son. And yeah. Of trying the pig slot. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely a thing where you see like, like shot, like Brie is being like expecting to go like, Oh, you've never actually tried to eat it. Have you? And he's like, actually I have because I'm broke and I'm a slave. Uh, I've had to try to eat like hay and sod and all these things, and I can't get it down. And <laughs> Bree just goes, "You're rum little creatures, you humans. We're yeah. I, you right. I guess yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't know what you mean by that? But sounds sounds accurate. <laughs> sounds accurate, but it's like oh, that's it's really sad. Like you you get yeah. some really sad glimpses into Shasta's life. Yeah, and it's all juxtaposed against. Bree's pride, which is a very notable layer of his personality. Like Bree is quick to look down on Shasta because Bree has a, I mean, noble background in the sense that he was owned by a noble person, whereas Shasta was owned by a poor person. But 
like even though they're both coming out of slavery, Bree still looks down on him in in some weird ways, which is absolutely part of his character growth. But sure. And then, well, you mentioned like his own pride, like Bree's pride, and immediately after this conversation, he just decides like, hey, I got to get a good roll around right now. Like, let me you know roll around on the ground and have a good little time. And Shasta thinks it looks hilarious because it's this big war horse, like just rolling around on the ground. Uh, and Bree gets really, really insecure. Yeah. He's like, wait, do you, you don't think that's weird. Do you like, is this, do you think, do you think that this is, um, do you think that this is like a bad habit that like I picked up? Do you think this is something that Narnian horses do, or this is just like something that like common Calarmine horses do? What, what do you think? Um, cause should I stop doing this? I love rolling around, but what if I, what if I look stupid? Like, this is so random. Like, I know I'm so random, but like, could you like, <laughs> yeah, he's, a- uh, he is very much like, like nervous that he is not going to be able to live up to who he is already claiming himself to be, but also like, he's, he's really scared. He's going to get there and realize like, oh, I'm not good enough to fit into the actual freedom that that belongs to me. It's it's very much like, again, for the, the Christian narrative side of it, like, well, like, how could I possibly be fitting to belong to Jesus or like belong in, in heaven or new creation? Uh, there's plenty more theology there, but if I'm so messed up now, or like if I have these habits or ways about me now, like am I am I worthy of the place that we're going? And absolutely that is a cool and sad and and kind of weird shame place that Brie holds on to. And absolutely. It's funny that Shasta is the one who can bring that out when Brie has been talking down to Shasta this entire time. For sure. Well, then you immediately what's his, his response is to, you know, shut that down. And he immediately speaks in confidence. He's like, I know where we're going. This is the direction for Narnia to Narnia to the north will never be stopped. And like immediately like that's his that's his cover is yeah. like, I need to be this confident, you know, war horse. And then like he is an unhealthy Enneagram three. <laughs> he's always working he has to you know achieve and yeah. achieve he um, has to and, put on the front of being good enough because he doesn't believe he's actually good enough mm, mm, preach it uh and so we this is his this is his defense mechanism uh and you'll even see it in his humor in the way that he kind of chides uh with shasta where shasta is like they ride for a few days and each day is better than the last he's falling a little less often um, but Bree still goes, it's, you're still like having a sack of flour in the saddle. And I would be ashamed to be seen with you if we were on like a populated road. Which to be fair, like, again, a month of riding experience for a horse that has been carrying someone for probably 20 years, like not, not fair, Bree, not fair. I do like that both twofold, we get this montage of the good old days like we're riding it's a party shasta's getting better this is his like rocky montage but for horse riding somehow um but also i'm just so relieved that we're fast forwarding through walking across the country 
Like yeah. after last book of seeing every single step they took, like spelled out in detail. But have you seen the Beavers Dam? And what about the Frozen River Chase? The trees pass by one by one, and two by two, and three by three. <laughs> but let's look like, at this tree. Uh, they, the flowers and the birds. He couldn't Man. help but stop to look. No, we get to ride. Weeks went by. Doesn't yep. matter. Not it's important. fine. Thank <laughs> they you. did. They did the same thing for most of these days. Yeah. All right, right on, right on, CS Lewis. But in the midst of this traveling, get a quick little insert of some PTSD because uh, Bree or Shasta asks Bree about all the wars that he's fought on because he's a war horse, and he gets this like really brutal description of like what oh. horses are like trained to do like bite and kick and you know rear at the right moment so that they can crush an enemy under all of their weight it's like oh lord and then Bree's like but i don't really want to talk about this like i don't this doesn't bring me joy to relive these things and again you see this thing of like this this little interesting psychological battle with Bree because he's like hey i'm a warhorse i've gone through all this i don't like the things that i've seen but he still defines himself as a warhorse, and he's like, "But just wait until you know I'm a Narnian warhorse, and those will be wars because you know those will be things that are much more valiant and noble and honorable." And uh, it's interesting knowing that C.S. Lewis is a war survivor from uh, the Great War, World War One, and like all these people being like, "Yes, torn apart by World War Two. Yeah, it is like this is a classic soldier's dilemma of like you carry the pride and the valor of being a soldier and having fought for your country or whatever. And and there is a pride and identity piece that goes with that. But like, as we know, I mean, gosh, PTSD is real and yeah. it stays with people like I have friends who who are. are uh, vets and it's just like it's heavy and it, I appreciate that C.S. Lewis shows that layer of it like he doesn't yeah. hide the fact that like no this is a valiant thing like well sure it it was but it also carries other layers with it because even though war does serve a purpose in societies as a whole it is also a product of sin and corruption in the world. Like it is the result of disagreement and conflict and people enacting violence on one another. Like it's not just a happy romp, like for fun. Like this is, it's a serious thing. And a lot of times stories that involve wars or the stories of wars or like battle ignore that and, and make like just kind of whitewash over the carnage of it. And so I appreciate that, like hate, hate the PTSD for Brie, but also appreciate that it's acknowledged. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, it's huge, but Chase, do you hear that? It sounds like another horse and a, and a rider. It's probably a Tarkin. But that can't should... be that big of a horse because listen to the sound of its footsteps. No, that's for sure. It's definitely not just a farmer riding. It's not a war horse, but it's probably like a blood mare because we know what that is. Uh, I mean, he's not wrong, but also... He's yeah, spot on here. Very specific. I guess if you have been a lifetime of like... 
Yeah, this is his thing. Horse. He knows, like he 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 knows, you know. <laughs> yeah, being uh, a horse—that's his thing. Um, being he is he is the horse in the horse and his boy. Yeah, so. it's kind of like when you were like a kid in school, you could hear when like a uh, assistant principal or principal was walking down the hallway. Oh, you knew the footsteps. Like, yeah, shuffling down the hallway, like there's certain people's steps that make a different sound and. I don't know. I related to this, but yeah, also, oh, definitely. It's just a weirdly specific like call out for this. Absolutely. I mean, I've lived in a house with you know nine guys, and you could tell who was coming down the stairs without seeing them because it'd be like the cadence would be like or like you know whatever. Yeah. Like you, you know. What a college statement. That was lived in a house with nine guys. I think five was my peak, and that was more than enough. Love, love the people, uh, you know, great, great experiences, but man, uh, having, uh, you know, peace and quiet and privacy is not, is not bad. It it helps. What's that sound, Cal? Not just the horse. Is that a roar? Roar! Is that Aslan's music? (laughs) It it is, but it's, it's got like a darker tone to it because which it's, Spoiler alert, which we can talk about the actual dynamics of this, like the broader story part of this later. Also, yeah, the, uh, the just fact that they're running from danger. But spoiler alert for the end of this book, Aslan will appear like the last chapter or two and say, I am the only lion you met in all your journeys. Yeah, which means that these multiple lions here are Aslan. Both of them are Both just them. one line. Yeah, yeah cause we, two lines. Because we find out. So they they try to stealthily avoid the horse and the rider. And then they end up hearing this huge, savage roar. And they're like, ah, lions. Uh, and then they you know try to run. Um, and we, we realize that Bree is terrified of lions. Like, yeah. And it's, it's an interesting discussion here. Knowing that this is Aslan. Because one... We get into this concept of does Bree, a Narnian horse, know about Aslan? And then two, and then two, it's really interesting that lions are presented the way that we on, you know, in the regular world would think about lions. They are a terrifying like creature. You would not want to be around. Like they would destroy you. And it is also a detail of like, we talked last chapter about some of the, the like not great pieces of C.S. Lewis setting this story essentially in the Middle East, but that is the accurate piece of like lions are native to the Middle East, like like especially like Iraq, Af- uh, Iraq, Afghanistan area, like that, like Iran had native lion populations, like that is. That's an actual fact about that area. And so it is fitting that both like Aslan is the king of Narnia, but also if like that is the setting behind the setting of this, that they are. That would be terrifying. This is a real situation if you're riding through these, this part of the world. Um, But yeah, it's, it's interesting that like your question about, uh, about like whether Bree knows about Aslan because in looking for the quote to make sure I wasn't crazy that 
this is also Aslan. He Bree does say at one point, like he's sit, speaking and like says something well, by the lion's mane, and then so he's and, at least aware of like yeah, which Erevis calls him out on it. Like Erevis, the girl we meet in a couple pages here, uh, she is like, I thought you didn't like lions, and then Aslan is like, well, like common lions, but like also everyone knows like. If about any, Aslan. Any Narnian knows that Aslan is a different kind of lion. And then, gotcha. And then Aslan appears and it's like, well, actually, <laughs> it's like the next page that that the quote that I found about Aslan saying, like, confirming that this is him. Interesting. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting because it brings up the aspect of like, do you do you recognize that it's Aslan doing what you're sensing is danger like right now like because aslan essentially acts as fate in this story like this is not the only time that this will be an issue like it'll also come up like in a, a couple chapters of lions being the force that is pushing them to the next step mm-hmm. and and here lions bring Bree and shasta together with quinn and Aramis. quinn quinn um yes. Yeah, it's it's H W I N. Is it two N's? No, um, it's just one N. Yeah. Yeah. H W I N. Quinn. Uh, but yeah, this is they were trying to avoid each other. And but these are by happenstance, two groups of people trying to escape to the free country of Narnia in the same direction. And Aslan, as the king of Narnia, is like basically guiding their journey in the way that it needs to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does that in this sense through what feels to them like danger. And so yeah. that brings in the other like philosophical problem of evil question about like, how does God's sovereignty work alongside the way that our journey shapes out and a question that's bigger than our ability to answer but it's really interesting how that plays out in the story through something like these lions chasing them. Absolutely. And it's, it is, I, I love what you said about like, you know, Aslan is bringing them together because they both think that there are lions on like both groups thinks that there are two lions, one on each side of the groups forcing them together and they escape into the water and then they look back and they only see one terrifying shape. So is Aslan duplicating himself or is he just constantly teleporting? Is he throwing his voice? I mean, look, how's he again, spoiler alert for the end of this book, like skip ahead 30 seconds. If you don't want to hear this part, Aslan later in this book shape shifts into an old, old man. So clearly he can do what he wants. <laughs> the laws of physics don't apply to Aslan. So it's one of those things like God. So in in this book, he is God created. We saw that two books ago. Sure. I just, I, I'm just curious about the logistics. Like how did he, you know, how did he do it? Uh, But I guess this is one of the mysteries that we're just not meant to know. Um, Maybe he got his buddy, that other lion that was super pumped to be there to come and like play the part. Man, what a great twist that would have been. Uh, see us lions chasing some humans, 
see it. Us yeah. too. Did you hear him? I'm the other other lion here. He said he wanted me to help. Dude, I I'm for it. This is my head cannon. But then it like kind of goes against what he says later. But that's yeah. okay. So the listener is confused. Go listen to all of our Lion Witch and Wardrobe podcasts, and you'll find it. Absolutely. Uh, but as we mentioned, there were another rider and another horse. And Chase, wouldn't you believe it? What are the odds? Another talking horse and another runaway. Well, Who'd you have know, you've seen the horse and his boy, but now coming soon to own, straight to DVD and VHS, bum, bum, bum. the horse and her girl. The horse and her girl. Uh, it's so beautiful. Uh, and once they hear this horse talking, Bree immediately is like, yo, what? And like goes over there and he's like, I heard you. You're a talking horse, a Narnian horse, just like me. And they get into this little like discussion that the rider turns out to be not a Tarkin or anything like that, but a girl, just a young girl about, uh, about Shasta's age. And then they have, there's immediate dislike between wow. Shasta and what the girl who we'll find out her name is Erevis. Yeah. Um, Cause Shasta's yeah, like, it's because Erevis is super rude. Erevis is super rude. She is just real condescending, but Shasta also starts off on a bad foot where he's like, why it's only a girl where it's like, okay, you sexist pig. Like, come on now. Uh, yeah. But, but then Erebus goes, eh, so what if I'm only a girl? You're probably only a boy, a rude little common boy, a slave probably who's stolen his master's horse. Spot on. I mean, honestly. I mean, you're not wrong, but also you it's super rude. A horse and stole armor and like ran away. Like, you're you're not better than him, but she thinks she's better than him, which is why yeah. she's rude. And then it's yeah, she she's just not a fan of of Shasta immediately. But you know who is a fan of uh, the other person in this uh, in this story? Bree is a huge fan of Win, and he turns on the charm. Chase, he is at least for a few pages. He is in it, and we'll talk about why he's not later. But he immediately yeah. is like, you t- you expect me to a great, beautiful warhorse like myself to see this fine-looking mare and know that it's a Narnian free horse and to not sit, come up and say, hello. Just a flirty side trot over like. Oh, yeah. He just sashays over. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, he, he is hollering for sure. And, and like, well, he, he's going to be constantly doing this throughout the chapter for the next few pages. Uh, and Only then this he, chapter. He doesn't talk to her next chapter. No. Well, there's a reason, at least yeah. in my mind, uh, that I he mean, doesn't. Yeah, you can have your head cannon. But he is also immediately aware of what Erebus and Bree are doing. He's like, no, y'all are also running away, right? Like, I, like I, let me guess. You're like me. You were captured as a young foal, and now you're enslaved. And you, you've got your brother's armor on, and you're, you know, it's too big for you, and you're anxious, don't want to be asked any questions. You're also escaping, am I right? And they're like, okay, you're spot on. I wish you hadn't said it, but yeah. But that's you know exactly what's happening. Yeah, uh, which it is. I mean. It's both fitting and a bummer that Brie tells Quinn's story for her. Yeah. Because like, gets she no- is like her character. So basically the four, the four main characters now, Erevis is rude. Shasta is dumb. Brie is prideful. 
and Quinn is there. Like <laughs> she is it, present. Their character descriptions. And it's unfortunate because like part of that is one of her, her flaws is that she needs to grow in confidence. But like the fact that Bree is going to talk more than probably his fair share is part of his personality as well. So it's fitting and a bummer because like he's right, but also I would rather her tell us. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's part of Bree's, you know, his own problems. But he then says, hey, what if we just all go together? He goes, I trust, Madam Quinn. You will accept such assistance and protection as I may be able. I may be able to give you on this journey. Shoot your shot, Bree. Shoot your shot. Uh, I mean, he's uh, he he's very confident. He knows he knows he's a big horse, but also like he knows what he's about. But dude, you like you. The horse is not the one winning the battle. Like I don't know about that, man. Horse. According to Bree, I think he would disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> because it's uh, the training man <laughs> Erevis immediately goes why do you keep talking to my horse instead of to me and then Bree goes excuse me Tarkina uh, but that's Calamine talk we're free Narnians Quinn and I and uh, if you're running away to Narnia you want to be one too so she isn't your horse anymore it'd probably be more accurate to say that you're her human uh, a horse and her girl uh, yes. coming this fall yeah, it's coming soon to own on VHS in spring of 1999. It's uh, yeah, it's it's, but it's a it's a great. We talked about this last chapter, but this idea of freedom, this idea of you know who is free, what is belonging and ownership look like for sentient sentient beings and like beings with souls, and where it's like, no, you don't belong to her. Like she doesn't own you anymore. It's not how this works. And that is a lesson that Erevis needs to learn because she is escaping, as we'll learn next chapter, for different reasons than Shasta. She's not escaping slavery. So the idea of getting into freedom is different for her because she's coming from a place of prestige and power rather than a place of poverty and weakness. And so what it means to accept the terms of freedom carry a different weight for her. This is kind of like what Jesus says about like, it's difficult for rich men to be saved because it means admitting your weakness and giving up your power versus being poor of spirit, which is kind of the entry point for the kingdom of God. It's like, this is kind of a lesson that Erebus is going to have to learn. And like, you know what? You're not better than anyone you are also in need and need to be set free. And absolutely. It's just a lesson she hasn't learned yet. And you, and you talk about this like with, with Erevis, like, again, we, we've talked about how CSS is much better in this book in how he presents his characters and describes things where he immediately is showing us without telling us that Erevis is proud and that Erevis does consider herself better because like, she immediately goes into this, uh, this again, this couplet with Shasta, where she's like, how do I know he's not a spy? I trust the war horse, but like, what about the slave boy on top of him? And she's like, like, Shasta goes, why don't you say it once that you don't think I'm good enough for you? And like, that's, ex- he's calling it out exactly yeah, how right. it is. And Bree is going, he goes, quiet, Shasta. It's a reasonable question. Is it? Like, 
I mean, it is once you've heard her story, but this is Brie giving the benefit of the doubt to someone who's in the same class as him, not Brie actually giving a reasonable, like, logic, like, sure. fair point. Yeah, but Brie defends Shasta, and then, you know, the Quinn is all about joining up with a great charger, like uh, this fine warhorse, uh, and they all decide to go together, but... Uh, obviously, Erebus doesn't want to join with Shasta. She just wants the help of Bree, a warhorse. Uh, and, you know, they all sit down together. And uh, again, we get pointed back to this idea of, you know, insecurity with we've seen Erebus's insecurity. Her pride, like her pride is going to prevent her from, you know, connecting. Erebus's er, uh, pride is going to prevent her from connecting. Bree is going to think himself, you know, higher and mightier. Uh, but really, he doesn't know if he's good enough. And then we get back to Shasta again. He's trying to have good manners because he now knows that this girl is a Tarkina. And he's trying to, like, put on a place. But he was raised as a slave to a fisherman. Yeah. Like, he and he doesn't have that. Enough. And it and it makes it – he makes him feel even more awkward once he knows how different and how classless, quote-unquote, he is compared to Erebus. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and it's just, but, it's, it's sad. Yeah. But now that they're all comfortable, Brie would love to hear their story. And you know what part of their stories are, Chase? And this is where immediately Brie goes, her? And stops his pursuit, in my mind. Because his, his flirt game is strong for a few pages. And then he starts talking to Quinn. He's chatting her up. They realize, oh, man, you know some of the same spots that I do in Narnia. You remember the Beaver's Dam and these grasslands and... Oh shoot, we're second cousins. Oh no, <laughs> and nope, no I more. Lived, I only lived in Alabama for ten months, but second cousins is still legal, Cal. Second cousins is second cousins, Chase. Uh, <laughs> it's but as we will see, spoiler alert for the end of this book. Uh, if you don't want to know about the lives of Bree and Huynh here, skip a few seconds forward. But they will not get married. <laughs> Oh, no. And when you meet a boy and a girl horse, and you're like, oh, yeah, they're destined. Nope. Second cousins. <laughs> the real question is, can we say the same for the other half of this? <laughs> Who knows? TBD. We'll, we'll find out next, next time. time. I mean. And by next but, time, I mean like a, like a yeah, long time down. Like, but like a, a couple few months, months from, from now. now. Ten, yeah. Like 10 episodes from now. Yes. But now, Tarkina, tell us your story. Don't hurry it. I'm feeling comfortable now. And Erevis uh, begins to situate herself, sitting still, rolling her shoulders back, getting a different posture, dropping her tone to, pro to prepare this story. Because, Chase, as we know, Callerman, in Callerman, storytelling is, uh, is what you're taught in school. It's, it's, uh, it's as common as reading or writing for the English boys and girls. Uh, but, you know, no, like everyone wants to hear a good story and no one wants to listen to essays. And Chase, what did, can you tell me C.S. Lewis and all of his buddies, what did they, what did they do? Yeah. I mean, if I remember correctly, they gathered every week to read essays to one another and critique them because that's how they had fun. But, you know, let's, let's give a little jab at the way English schools teach essay writing. It's what we need is less talented writers in our society, given how Twitter has affected everything. Yeah. 
it's a it's a weird dunk to make on the like school and education system when he is someone who does this exact thing. Like he writes essays and yeah. not not just stories, but he writes you know educational and like theological discourses that are much more akin to essays than they are to stories. Oh yeah, which I, I mean, I'm all for schools doing a better job of teaching rhetoric. Like absolutely. I think that would be a very good thing for for schools to like actually teach real storytelling. Like like how do you like both craft a narrative but also how do you communicate in a way that people want to listen to? That sounds great. That would be a great lesson to learn. But also like writing is important because it lasts longer and it is something that can be both reproduced and also like held on to. It, uh, yeah, por que no los dos? Like, why not both? Yeah, they're both good. They both serve their purpose. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Chase, do you have anything else before we dive further up and further in? Uh, I mean, I haven't heard anyone who want, wanted to uh, read my further up and further in essay, Cal. So. Chase, I'd love to hear it. Can you start us out? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, basically for my further up and further in, I just wanted to, uh, hit on something mentioned a little bit is just that everyone in this story has a place to grow. And so in a lot of children's literature, a lot of storytelling in general, the story is limited to just the main character arc. You've got one person who's the highlight of the story. They have something to accomplish, some way they need to change. And so everything else in the story, all the other places and people and things around them are really just backdrops, fixtures, and tools along the way for the main character to get their stuff together. And one of the things I like about C.S. Lewis and, and what makes for a good storyteller is that he doesn't write that way. He doesn't do just one like dynamic character, then the rest are one dimensional. He has three dimensional characters with flaws and ways to grow throughout. And so Shasta is not the only one on this journey. We learned that Bree's internal conflict in this story will be based around his insecurity and fear that he's not good enough. Uh, but at the same time, his pride and accomplishments of where he's been are also a uh, conflict within that internal uh, struggle. Erevis, She's also prideful and in need of softening, but this comes from her elitist background and her unwillingness to empathize with others. Quinn is lacking confidence and needing to step forward into the central uh, role her relationships offer her. Like all four of these travelers have ways that they're going to develop over the course of their journey. And that's the real interest of this story. Like the real journey that's happening here, like, yes, it is point A to point B, C, Z, whatever, like you're getting from the beachside in Calorman to Narnia in the north. But the real journey of this story is the internal narrative of these characters being shaped into the people they're supposed to be. And that is what that is part of what the lions, what Aslan is accomplishing here. That is part of what the actual like path of this journey is supposed to communicate. And so Otherwise, it would just be a long walk through the desert, which we know C.S. Lewis would gladly give us just a long walk. He's not opposed to it. Yeah. After the last book, we've seen what he can do. But like I said, like the physical traveling isn't as important in the story as the emotional, psychological journey 
of the characters getting where they need to go. And so it's fun to see that development begin here in, in our second chapter and get in progress as we form what I'm terming the Fellowship of the Horse. The Fellowship of the Horse. Ba, 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 ba. Two, two horses to rule them all. <laughs> I, I can see it. But they're second cousins, so they won't. Uh, but my further up and further in is the ignorant protagonist. Um, and it's similar, you know, similar to Chase's. Both of ours, you know, dealt with this idea of, you know, character growth and um, like knowing the things you don't know, uh, growing in the ways that you were weak before. And in so many fiction stories, uh, especially in grand fiction tales where there's a journey to complete, there's a task to um, make sure is, is completed a great way to tell the story and reveal the plot without having to do it in a forced way or in an unnatural way is to have the protagonist be ignorant and inexperienced so that they can naturally learn about everything and naturally discover the things at the same time that the audience does, right? Uh, think about Luke in Star Wars. He's a farm boy. He's just chilling. But then as you get to go alongside him, you learn about, oh, the Jedi. The, what are the Jedi? This is the Jedi. What's the Force? This is the Force. Because he's learning all these things. And then he discovers his own journey. And as he grows himself as a Jedi, you learn more. Think about Frodo in the ring. Think about Aragon in the in the Inheritance Cycle series. Think about every Narnian book. Why do you think it starts with a group of kids? And generally, uh, in most of the books, you have newcomers. Uh, and, and I think it's only in two of the books there is uh, where it's not at least one of the kids is a newcomer, uh, and that's in Caspian and in the last book. Um, the final battle, I believe every other book has a newcomer to Narnia who has to learn about Narnia. And so you get this revelation of plot, this revelation of story of what is actually happening. And it's a really natural and easy way to make sure that the reader knows what's happening uh, as because the, the main character has to learn what's happening in order to progress on their journey. So uh, you'll see this throughout all of the, the Narnian books. Um, and, you know, our, our ignorant protagonist in Shasta is the one that gets to learn this, but you also get to see it in different ways because while Shasta is your, your more or less protagonist, because he's the one that's going to learn the most, you also have Bree, who is the somewhat guy, but he even doesn't really know a lot about Narnia and same with Wynn. And then Erevis is not Narnian, uh, but has more learning, more education, but has to relearn the things that she thought she knew. Uh, and so it's a really interesting way to present plot and it feels natural. But Chase, now I'm comfortable. I, you know, I want you to go ahead and tell the listeners your story about how they can find us anywhere uh, for our podcast. Don't hurry it. Don't rush it. Wait, but Kel, do you think it's normal to roll around in this podcast like that? Is, is I, something that free free podcasters do? I think you can, as long as your rolling doesn't turn into a romp that may or may not cause the lives of or cost the lives of many many Narnians. I think I think you can do that. Cool, cool, cool. Well, if you want to cost the lives of many Narnians, you can find this podcast. 
on Apple, Spotify, Audible, all, all those places that you like to get your podcasts. It's probably there. If you found it, keep finding it. And while you're finding it, give it to a friend. Make a gift out of it. Uh, and you could also help people find this podcast by leaving a rating and review. Uh, five stars really helps other people find our podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Chronicles of Podcasts, where we post uh, stuff about our episodes and generally just like to keep up with y'all and make jokes about these books because we do enjoy them and it keeps us going. So do all those things. And uh, yeah, in the meantime, don't, don't feel bad about listening to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, when we, we, we know that people like reading these books, but we're not sure if people like listening to this podcast. <laughs> So make sure you listen and let true, us know. True, true, true. We'll see but, you next time. Peace out. Excuse me, Tarkina, said Bree, with just the slightest backward tilt of his ears. But that's the Calamine talk. We're free Narnians, Quinn and I. And I suppose... And <laughs> <laughs> start over. <laughs> I... I'll wait till the actual podcast is started that because I want to over enunciate it. You committed to it. I want it, to oh, I want to go hard on the <laughs> 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 Okay. <sighs>